it's time for the Off the Mound with Ryan Dempster podcast, presented by Sloan. I'm your host, Ryan Dempster, and today I'm joined by rock star and diehard Cubs fan, Eddie Vedder. Eddie is, of course, one of the most famous Cubs fans on the entire planet. He was born in Evanston, grew up here in Chicago, then he bounced back and forth between the Windy City, San Diego with his guitar and a suitcase, and in 1990, he recorded some vocals for a few tracks, formed a little band, you might have heard of them, they're called Pearl Jam. Well, then the rest is history. But before we get to the Rock and Roll Hall of Famer, I got to tell you about Sloan's no-touch hand-washing technology. It's state-of-the-art and second-to-none and couldn't come at a better time. So we want to thank them for providing that technology to people out there so we can wash our hands and stay safe. I think you're really going to enjoy listening to my conversation with Eddie. He shares some incredible details of his relationship with Mr. Cub, Ernie Banks, and explains why he loves the Cubs so much. Well, let's not waste any more time, folks, and let's go off the mound with Cubs superfan and Pearl Jam frontman, Eddie Vedder. Good to see you, man. Opening day is here. Shocking. Crazy. <laughs> Crazy times. Is, right? Yeah, I never thought I that we, the- would, we would be playing. I watched a little bit last night. It it was not as weird as I thought it would be. I thought it would be much, much, much more bizarre. I mean, it's bizarre. No crowd and, uh, but it was baseball and it was the guys. It was legitimate, different, which I think is good because it's, it, it could be a nice distraction. It could be a nice focus. It could give us a break from some of the tragedy and difficult things we're going through right now as a country and as a planet, but really good to see. And and because it's weird and because it's bizarre, even though it's a distraction, it, it still reminds us that we're going through some some critical, critical times here. And, um, you know, I, I, you know, it's nice to be distracted, but you know, we got to stay aware and um, and be careful and cautious. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, you know, in this difficult time, like you're talking about, the the um, the time we're spending with our families as we're quarantining, we're staying safe, we're social distancing. You know, baseball in this weird way right now is is almost going back to the purity of the game. Right? There's no there's no crowd there. It's just the game being played and you know, you can actually hear a breaking ball spinning if you're a hitter. You can, the crack of the bat, you know, those kind of things that are really almost bringing baseball back to the beginning as we once knew it a long, long time ago. Um, in a way, it's kind of refreshing, you know, especially, you know, I, I feel like we shouldn't have fans. I hope fans aren't going to be playing in the stands this year just because I think it's the safest thing. And hats off to all these guys that are out there, um, you know, risking it for us at home to watch baseball and give us something to smile about right now. It does have that sandlot element to it, right? But it's like legit guys, you know, like like (laughs) the guys playing sandlot. So that has, uh, you know, it's almost when you see, uh, I got to do a, one in particular, I'll remember a benefit show in, in London. Uh, with the Who for Teenage Cancer Trust, and but the rehearsals were in basically a, a garage. You know, it was like a garage 
setup. So to hear the Who, watch the Who play in basically a, a garage sound studio thing. And all of a sudden you realize like how intense that was to hear them in that totally uh, different construct. And and then you realize that not only are they a great stadium band and arena band, but like one of the best garage bands you've ever heard too. It's, you know, it's funny you say that because um, I was walking out around Wrigley Field during uh, exhibition games and during batting practice and things like that when the guys are inside there. And you can hear it. You can hear the crack of the bat. And you're like, oh, that's the backup middle infielder. But then when like KB was hitting or Riz was hitting, you're like, oh, I got a chance to catch this home run ball because the acoustics of it are that much different. Like you're talking about with a great band like The Who, you're like, wow, that's powerful. And then you can actually hear that sound of what an all-star major leaguer's bat sounds like when it connects with a baseball. It, it is something, you know, to be marveled at. And, and you've seen that firsthand. You've witnessed batting practice with nobody in the stands. You know what that's like. I did notice, yeah, the crack of the bat sounded a lot different yesterday. It was the one thing I noticed. I don't know if they're miking it different, but, yeah, you could hear. I'll tell a quick story. Or I'll try to make it quick. I could, I could draw it out, but I'll try to make it quick. No, take uh, your time, please. I had one of the worst ear infections of all time. Not just my life. It was almost like a, you could have written about it in uh, medical journals. I had an inner outer ear infection from uh, being in water in Brazil on the on the on the afternoon before I got on the plane home. So the last show we play, and then the streets were clear the next day. We snuck out in the water, spent three hours in the water before the flight. Got some water in my ear, probably wasn't the cleanest water in the world, and got on a 12-hour flight, and then got the worst ear infection. Uh, and it was brutal, and it did not go away. And you keep waiting for it to clear. And I think it was my right ear and it just wouldn't go away. So now I'm two months in, you know, I feel like Brian Wilson, like I can only hear out of one ear. And to the point where I'd go into a grocery store and say, I, I can't hear you. I have an ear problem. Like I it was like, just became part <laughs> of my, like walking, walking with a cane, you know, I was disabled. So Raul Abanez calls me up. He's playing with the Angels at the time. And one of the greatest guys in baseball, you know this. Yes. And I had known him from Seattle. I, I became very close with him and, and still am, and I, I'm so grateful. But he asked me to come down. I go to the game early. Uh, he says, I'm going to take a few swings if you want to come down. They have a little uh, indoor batting cage at, in Seattle. And I watched Raul take a couple swings, and then we sat right behind the the back of the net. And then Pujols came in. And then Pujols started hitting. And we walked out of the hall, and I asked Raul, I go, that was loud. Is that the loudest crack of the bat? Is that just me or is that the loudest thing I've ever heard? He said, oh, no, 
he's known in the league for having the loudest bat. And then he said that. I said, wait, say that again. He said, you have the, I could hear from both ears. Pool holds crack of the bat, snap my ear back in eardrum, back into place somehow. That's a miracle. Saved for by short, Albert Pujols. For a short period of time, you were a Cardinal fan. You're like, all right, I can root for you guys. Just no, this is the Angels. No, this is oh, Angels. Oh, the Angels. Oh, God, sorry. Okay. Never. See, that's all it. That. <laughs> I stay away from all of the St. Louis comments. I get myself in a lot of trouble. Me and Chris Bryant, we did that. I'm going to steer clear of that. Um, you know, you are a document. Everybody knows. What, you're a huge St. Cubs Louis fan. is exciting. Are you, you trying to get me in part? trouble again, Rick? <laughs> Somebody said that at my show. I don't know who it was, a certain number 17, and, and everybody said that and got all bent out of shape. But I said, Chris is kind of boring. He doesn't like to do a whole lot. So, you know, it was kind of like twofold, you know, although he's he's a father now, so the excitement level in that household is about to ramp up a whole bunch. No, no, no. So you're, you're actually doubling down. You're saying even Chris Bryant <laughs> thinks that. <laughs> yes. Somewhere around I've never really home. been. We've had some good shows there. I've never really hung out. I said it on the intro that the uh, uh, Randy Hunley Fantasy Camp, which um, you've been a regular at, you 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 really kept it alive and thriving this past uh, this past January. Um, you know, slide in on game winning runs at home and 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 playing your tail off for days. How much fun is that for you uh, to get out there amongst the, you know, the alumni and those guys and, and playing, uh, playing baseball for, for a week and putting your body <laughs> through that torture of a, a week-long season right there? I mean, as you were a kid, you kind of wanted to impress your dad by making a good play. But then you get to this place and you're, you're going to impress like Billy Williams or Jose Cardinal. Or, you know, I mean, so you kind of, you try to go all out. And it's such a good group of people. And not only those coaches, but the other, the campers that would come. And powerful things happened at that thing. Like, such a good gathering of people who really cared and shared, obviously, Cubs in common. But it's a, it, was a, it was a powerful thing. You know, Randy Hunley invented that whole, just the theory of it, you know, now they have rock and roll fantasy camps with Steven Tyler and, you know, <laughs> but Randy, I wish you got like, you know, publishing on it. Um, so, but he, he kind of invented that in I think around 84, 85. And it really became a, not just a great gathering for the, the campers, but also for all those players from the 69 Cubs to the 80s Cubs, you know, everyone from Jody Davis and Sutcliffe and to the early guys, Glenn Beckert and, you know, of course, Jose Cardinal, Ray Burris. Ray Burris mm -hmm. has become a friend of mine. You know, these are great, great friendships. And you learn more about baseball in one week 
of hanging out with these guys. Like the first year I went, uh, it was 15 years ago. In one week, learned more about baseball, never watched it the same, had so much more insight and so much more respect. There was no more backseat driving for me because even <laughs> you go through it a little bit, just how hard it is to play. We do double headers, five games, five days. So 10 games in five days. And it's good that they do that. It's brutal, but it's good because you realize like 160 games is just insane on the body. And, you know, we check in on these guys and uh, can't believe they don't run out of <laughs> uh, ground ball or something. It's like, yeah, you need to uh, pace yourself. It's hard. <laughs> It is, man. I know. I always notice, like one day, one or two in the training room. There's like maybe like five or ten guys getting taped up. You know, a few guys getting some post game ice. But by the end of camp, it's like a, a shift system going through there. You got probably about forty campers in there, ice and backs, hamstrings, knees. It, it is hard. Oh, it's very hard. It's a mass unit. It's <laughs> ugly. You know, one thing that. When you're a kid and it's Sandlot, you know, you stand in the outfield or Little League, you stand in the outfield or whatever. But when you're playing and let's say it's a game that you want to win, you don't want to win it for yourself. You, you want to, you know, you got a team. I think the crazy thing is that you're in, you know, let's say outfield. It's just getting ready, like every pitch, just getting ready, focused on every pitch. That it, it, for me, it made me think of music, and I thought, "Well, it's music's easy." For you, You're it's in. easy. You're, well, for for but like you know, because that's your profession. So like you know, I I know how that feels. It's you, easier. You kind enough. <laughs> it's easier. We still got time for a little bit more with Pearl Jam frontman Eddie Vedder. We return with more off the mound presented by Sloan. That was a nice time down in Arizona, and uh, yeah, I've been thinking about Arizona a lot lately. They've been dealing with the COVID. Uh, same with Florida. You know, all the spring training places they've yep. they've had a tricky time with it. And um, you know what? One hit me hard was Tommy Hadovy, who's yeah. become a, a a friend. And you know, this guy's a athletic specimen and a healthy human being and i thought it was very poignant and and gutsy i was glad he came out and said hey i had it and it was it was really bad you should know it's bad again 41 athlete and it took him down hard and you know i'm glad there's positive stories of like well you know, it's not all doom and gloom. Don't panic if you have it, you know. But I think it's important when it comes down to people wearing masks or things like this to hear that it'll take you down hard. I get frustrated, Ryan, that, that this wearing of mask things has been politicized. Really, it's wear a mask now 
and then your freedoms will come. We, we have to kind of join together and be cautious of the people around you. You know, it's all, all for one right now. This is a, a, a time we can become great as a country. And, you know, and then to see other countries around the world having kind of figured it out or come to terms a little quicker. I, I, I just, I, I want to be, I want to be more galvanized as a nation because our freedoms will come back quicker if we just sort it out. I, I, I just, right. I'm sorry. I just don't want it to be a thing that's become, uh, turned into a political issue, kind of like Colin Kaepernick kneeling. Yeah. That wasn't an anti-flag, anti-country, anti-freedom, nope. anti-troops. That was him saying, I'm going to make a statement about an issue in our country, which is obvious and real. And now we're dealing with it, uh, you know, in big ways now. And it's something that we, we have to come to terms with and deal with. But the, the way it gets politicized, I understand it's, you know, people manipulating the truth to form an argument, but um, I just think we're better than that. <laughs> yeah, you know what, you're right, because in times like this, when times are really hard, when we can be selfless, and we can think about other people, um, ultimately, we're all better off, right? When we care about each other, like we would our brother or our mom or our dad, and we, we are, we're selfless in those moments, um, you know, good things can happen. And instead of critiquing people and criticizing people for their choices. And, um, you know, I, I think if we look at it like that, you're right, there's places around the world where I'm from in Canada, um, you know, cases are, are, are really low. And, and that's because they took that approach and they took that that selflessness. Don't don't criticize a player because he wants to wear a mask when he's at bat. You know what? He can still hit a home run doing that. He can still do that. That's his choice. And he's trying to make a point that uh, we, we're all looking out for each other here. And I, and I think that Major League Baseball and I know for for sure the Cubs are doing an incredible job of following protocol and looking out for each other and everybody that's there so that they can put things on the line to give people something to smile about. So you guys, Pearl Jam, um, you know, you guys were getting ready to go on tour as uh, as all this hit, promoting your new album. Um, you know, I've heard from a lot of people, they're like, hey, this is a, a little bit different sounding album um, than we're typically used to. Um, it seems like maybe they stepped inside of the box it's a little better. or whatever you want to say. <laughs> I love it. I think it's so great. I've they made a good one with that pounded through my ears. Absolutely. How how much fun was that to you know to do that to just you know um, as you're as a musician as an athlete as a anybody in life you're always pushing yourself to to limits and being better and and doing what you can do. Talk about the album and 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 putting that all together and and how much fun that was. Going on the idea that it, it turned out good, then obviously you're always trying to do your best work and and as much as you want to try hard or in a baseball analogy you know you you want to do your best every time sometimes you can't try too hard just sometimes it just happens and you kind of let it happen and this record we made is a more than most in the last few years or decade or more uh, we kind of came together as a real 
team and democratic way of going about writing and arranging it. And we were really tight on this one. And, um, you know, I, we are proud of how it sounds, especially now that we can't play it live, which is where we feel like the music really lives. But yep. we're especially grateful now that it sounds good on record. You know, if you can't see it live, we can't play it live. At least what we put out had a, a great sound to it and um, kind of stands on its own for now while we we wait anxiously to uh, get out there and be able to play it. Yeah, uh, for, you, for you, going to a game at Wrigley or playing at Wrigley, uh, concert at Wrigley, uh, what, do you, what do you look forward to more? <laughs> and one no is less work. Pearl <laughs> one is way less work. One you can have a, a, a few more drinks at before. Before, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, it's a, what a wonderful place to be able to play. God, we played Soldier Field once. That was historically poignant as well. Um, also, you know, you look at Fenway Park and there it's a great sounding venue or a great you know, small enough to feel intimate. Um, but nothing like Wrigley with the history of it and nothing like Wrigley to be on stage with Ernie Banks, you know? Yeah. Nothing like that. Nothing like to have that friendship, you know, to have Ernie Banks call you. Uh, you know, he would just call me. Uh, just what a, what a wonderful thing that was to have that in your life and and really go deep you know with ernie you, you could ask him anything um you know and he'd and kind he of start a little bit he always yeah. remembered everything he remembered everything like mm. if you told him you know even in, into you know to the years leading up to he just always he knew my dad was a fire chief he 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 right. like he knew everything it was incredible that his genuineness was so real it was it was like you said that relationship i i miss him all the time yeah it was what a <sighs> yeah just just to be able to you know he asked me if... we had the rain delay we had this big delay because the lightning came hardcore first time we ever played really this crazy two-hour lightning storm comes in and we can't play the next day and we don't know what to do tom ricketts stood up big time we worked with the working with the meteorologists and the chief of police and but ricketts he really put his neck out and um you know ernie i've said this before but ernie said let's play two we were like let's play till two because <laughs> we didn't get back on stage till <laughs> till midnight, you know. Yep. But he was up there, and uh, and he was the next one to come out in our first little set. He was the next one to come out, and he was a little frail at that point. And I said, Ernie, 
you know, it might be a while. I just talked to the weather guy. It might be a while. And, and he said, uh, I said, okay. He says, is that a bottle of red wine? I said, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll have a glass of that. And then amongst all the, the craziness of getting the crowd safely out into the, you know, wherever they could go uh, and be safe and out of harm's way with this, this crazy lightning storm, um, that was happening. But I also was spending time with Ernie. And, um, and, and I had this old mitt of mine it was my very first glove. I just decided to bring it to Wrigley because it was, you know, this moment of getting to play Wrigley. So I happened to have it there. And I said, I said, Ernie, would, would you sign this mitt? It was like my first glove. It's this Charlie Brown mitt, right? It's Charlie Brown, you know, that old. Yeah. Because I'm old. And so he signed it, but he put it on. He don't know. Now, this is a great glove. Now, this is a. This is how gloves should be. There, there is love in this glove. And then da-da-da. He said, could I, would you mind if I kept this glove? And for a sec, I kind of said, well, Ernie, it, it's it's my first glove. He says, I know, but I love uh, this. It's a, there is love in this glove. And we would have a connection. We would have a connection. So sure thing, yeah, I gave him that glove. I mean, if, just going back, if you ever thought that Ernie Banks would ask you for your glove? Yes, you have it. the glove. Yeah. Oh, man, that is, what a special bond that is to have that. That is, that's incredible. Um, you, you have, uh, you know, a bond with Cubs fans, with Cub players, you know, uh, the Cubs, the black cat, the, the, you know, the ball through Durham's legs, Bartman, all these things happen. And then Cubs fans started to lose hope, right? Like it's never going to happen. And then you write a song and you come up with a song that says one day, you know, the Cubs will go all the way. And I still remember this after we beat the Dodgers on John Lester's back porch, you're singing it, everybody's singing it. And it was this magical moment. It as the person who, you know, developed and wrote this song and sings this song in that moment, what were you feeling? Because, you know, and then, it, and then it came to fruition that night in Cleveland, you know, we're all just celebrating this powerful moment to, to do something like that. It, you know, almost, uh, you know, the seer of seers writing something that actually does happen. That was so powerful. It became an anthem for not only the fans, Ed, but for the players, the players were loving it because it was giving that, you know, Hey, we are going to go all the way one day to have all that finally play out in 2016 and go through. What was that like for you? Well, you know, going back to that night, that was pretty cool. Cause we we're on Lester's back porch, but it was all the guys. And you had Dexter Fowler next to Riz yep. and Rossi and Montero, like, but everybody singing it and everybody was there, you know, those guys. It wasn't like, okay, these are the white guys hanging out at the white guys. You know, there was, I'm just saying, I've seen yeah, other it teams this. and it, yeah. And it was, mm -hmm. that was a, a cool, 
powerful. But that's how, then then you and I was thinking like, see, these are the teams that that win. They were like a real team and a real a band. You know, they were brothers. You know, um, but again, the song went back to Ernie. Ernie was the one who asked me to write the song at, at camp. He said, we need a song. That's <laughs> crazy. <laughs> and I wanted to tell Ernie, I, he said, we need a song about Wrigley. We need a song, what it feels like to go in the ballpark and, you know, all this. And I really, I'm, I'm looking at him saying, well, there is a reason that song you, you can't, and Steve Good Goodman had that great song, and uh, but there's a reason you can't you can't write all that. It's too much, Ernie. It's it's hard. <laughs> but I but it was his birthday. It was his birthday, so I I went back to my room at the <laughs> the Dobson Ranch Hotel in Arizona, and then. Uh, scribbled it down and and then uh and then i heard from him one day that he actually heard it and it was it was very powerful to hear he, he said he said yo how did you do that how did you i feel a bit silly saying it but this is what i think about when i wake up in the morning and that was very sweet he was very kind but but i i got it uh I got some great compliments from Ernie on that. So. You talked about your good friend, Jose Cardinal. Um, you guys, you know, tell everybody, how, how did you guys develop this relationship? I mean, it started when, you know, you were a kid out in the bleachers watching Cubs games and it's grown into this, you know, uh, older brother, younger brother relationship for years on end now. It's, uh, it's, it's pretty, pretty special to, to see the bond that you guys have. Well, Jose, as a kid, he was—he had all these elements of of uh, that you couldn't help falling in love with. Yet, he, he had his great smile, just the best afro. <laughs> and I was Ever. also a huge Jackson, Incredible. huge Jackson Five song uh, fan as a kid. And then here was the guy that looked most like somebody from the Jackson Five. So. Um, and then when I started getting to go to games when I was five, six, seven, um, there he was right in front of me, my favorite guy, you know, literally feet in front of me in the right field bleachers at the beginning. He was always just so great on the bases. He was a great hitter, uh, great defensive man, held the record. He might still have the record for unassisted double plays in a season. So it turns out he has this incredible history as I got to know him later. You know, one of the things was my wife, when I turned 40, invited him to Seattle to come to my birthday. And I had met him once before. The first time I met him, he was with Cincinnati. He was a, a first base coach for Cincinnati. Sean Casey was on that team. Uh, few other great guys. Dusty was coaching. Ray Knight. But um yeah, it was it was very powerful to meet him for the first time. And then he came to my 40th birthday and then he invited me to the camp 
that's when I started coming to the camp. And now he's just become, you know, one of my great, great friends in the last 15 years. And just great to talk to him on the phone and, and uh, stay in touch whenever I get to see him. And he's, uh, he knows so much about the game and it's that old school way of looking at the game. Um, I, I think it was interesting to hear stories about how an old school player would deal with, you know, new school guys, whether it was Larkin on the Reds or, um, you know, such talented guys, but just, just uh, different. They were so talented, you know, Griffey Jr. You know, it's just so they didn't have to work at it in a way like Jose did. You know, Jose came in 1962 from Cuba. The last 10 guys, I believe, they let out of Cuba with uh, that, they, you know, allowed with, you know, they didn't have to sneak out or get on a boat. They let them yep. leave. That was the last time that happened, I believe, in 1962. Uh, eight of those guys went home. The ninth guy stayed in the States. Only one of them made the major leagues, and Jose was in the major leagues in uniform for 40 years. Can't thank you enough for stopping by off the mound and coming and, and catching up with us. And um, it's, it's great to see your face uh, and, and see that you're doing well. I miss you. Yeah, me too. I miss all the people. I miss I miss uh, Billy Williams at the ballpark. I miss, you know, I get to see all you fellas. Uh, I really care about everybody up in the the offices. Uh, such a great team that the Cubs have, and uh, you know, people that people don't see. You know, they're not. You know, they might be in the uh, you know the press book. Um, but so many great people that work on the administrative side and, um, I feel a really close bond with all them and their families. Um, you know, from the top down, it's such a good organization. And I know that going through this stuff has been very difficult to get baseball back on the field. So, um, I've talked to Rossi, he's pumped Rizzo, he's pumped. I've talked to Joe Madden, you know, he's. Yep. He's pumped on his side. We didn't take it for granted, but, uh, man, it sure will be nice to get back. Yeah, 100%. We can't wait to have you back in, in Wrigleyville, throwing out a first pitch, singing the stretch, and uh, and just taking it all in. Uh, thanks again so much. Super. Theo, yeah, with it. What do you got for me? Theo invited me to throw out the first ventilator. <laughs> of course he did. He's always forward-thinking, that guy. Ah, that is great stuff right there from Eddie Vedder. So much fun to catch up with our friend right here on Off the Mound. I don't know about you, but I, I feel so alive. Little pun on uh, Pearl Jam right there. Hearing Eddie talk about the special bond he had with Ernie Banks, his love of Wrigley Field, the Cubbies was just so awesome. To hear more conversations like the one you just heard, please download and subscribe to the Off the Mound with Ryan Dempster podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. We've talked to Anthony Rizzo, John Lester, Derek Lee, Fergie Jenkins, Jake Arrieta, and many current and former players from other teams around the league. And it's all presented by our good friends at Sloan. 
Thanks for listening and rock on.